Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Growing your own food, it's like printing your own money. My name is Thomas. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And what are you drinking this fine afternoon? Dude, I'm great. And that was a good catchphrase. Boom. And did you just like come up with that? No, it's uh, a quote like... by somebody named Ron Finley. Mm. I mean, that was quick finding that. That was good. <laughs> I'm good at sourcing just... quotes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm uh, just sipping a The Crisp by Six Point. Is it the same one from last time? It is, a, it is the same one from last time, which is in the future. Oh, I don't know how so, the ordering of episodes goes. So if you want to really know how I'm enjoying this, <laughs> you should listen in the future. Tune in in the future. But it depends which future you're in. That's true. Because then it could it could just be the past or the super past. It could be in the past. Something more recent in the feed than this. Mm. <laughs> I'm drinking <laughs> uh, unfiltered ginger beer. So it's like less mm. sweet than most ginger beer. I like really spicy ginger beer. So I I love spicy ginger beer, but I've never had unfiltered. Does that mean like you need to like chew it while you drink no. it? No. So I would think that there would be like some like ginger pieces floating in here because it says unfiltered, but honestly, I don't see it. I don't I don't know what the unfiltered means because it's just carbonated water, cane sugar, ginger juice, and citric acid. That's all it is. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe it means they juice a ginger and they don't filter the juice through something so maybe there could be some little pieces in there i don't know this bottle looks pretty clear though actually wait no no never mind actually if i look real close i can see some little ginger fragments floating around in there you know what goes really good with ginger beer um vodka and lime yeah and a copper mug yeah yeah Mm -hmm. And ginger itself we, uh, goes good in many, many different recipes. We got copper mugs when we were in Morocco. Oh, yeah. We, like, make them there and all that stuff. And we're like, this is awesome. Can't wait to make, like, a Moscow mule or something. Come home, uh, make drinks. And our drinks in those glasses just say, taste like copper. Oh, so, really? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, like, legit copper. Oh, like, some dude, like, okay. had just finished making them. Mm. So I don't know if you need, like, some copper something on top of the copper, but... Yeah, I don't know. Is is copper a really, um, what do they call it, like a really malleable, like one of those metals that kind of scrapes off really easily? I have no idea. I know gold is. Like gold is a soft metal if it's by itself. You have to you have to mm-hmm. mix it with another um, another element to make an alloy that's more solid. So mm. I don't know. But I will say that the copper, quote unquote copper, because I don't know if it's really copper, it looks copper, mug that I have does not make my Moscow meals taste like copper, mm. which is nice. I need one of those. And I would imagine that the pipes that are in most people's homes have some sort of alloy instead of just or, copper because the water doesn't yeah. taste like copper. Yeah. Or maybe they're just smoothed or I actually have no idea. I'm just going to not even pretend like I know. Well, we're going to start a metallurgy podcast. We're going to learn all these things. That's right. See, now I want to do a metallurgy episode. I don't know anything about metallurgy, though. I'm, I'm not going to lie. A metallurgy with Tommy and Andy. <laughs> <laughs> We're like four listeners. Though <laughs> so I have found there's, there's a YouTube channel that uh, forges like real swords. And they have millions of subscribers because they always do weapons from TV shows and games. So they'll do like the sword from Game of Thrones or Genji's sword from Overwatch and it'll just have Mm -hmm. millions of views and rightfully so because they look amazing, like seriously amazing. And like people just like don't do that anymore. So I imagine it's awesome to watch. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of blacksmiths out there in the world, especially like artisanal Mm -hmm. blacksmiths. (laughs) Anyway, we're talking about food today because I don't know about you, but if I were to take some time to look through my credit card statement, I would bet you that it is mostly food items of some sort, mm-hmm. and it represents quite a hefty chunk of change every month. I Yeah, like Laura and I joke that we literally just eat our money. <laughs> you joke about that, and also I think last time I was with you, you're just like, basically my life is either I'm eating or I'm on my way to food. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm so full from eating that I'm like hibernating. Yeah, exactly. So what we're going to do this week is give you guys some some tips for how to reduce your food budget in a way that doesn't mean you're just eating rice and beans all the time because I firmly believe that you can eat better for less money if you just change some habits and you learn a few things. And I know this because when I moved to Denver, Anna and I were quite lazy when it came to the food department for uh, several months and we would eat out like all the time or order delivery. And some restaurants we go to are delicious, but some are just okay. And a lot of times like delivery food, it's just like I'm putting food into my face, but you know, this isn't that great. Or, and it doesn't deliver well. Yeah, you know, a lot like of French times fries, it, exactly. it can't be delivered. Yeah, it doesn't deliver well at all. And I don't know, you're in Hoboken. You, I think you have a, a higher density of really close places that can deliver. For us, like, if I want good pizza delivered, I'm ordering from a pizza place that's a few miles away. Mm. Whereas you can order Napoli's pizza, which is like... That is the one you know, thing we have a lot of. We have like good, 50 pizzerias here. Well, you got good pizza and you have good mm. delis. Yeah, that's like one of my biggest uh, jealousies when it comes to Hoboken versus where I live. Like I haven't found a really good like Italian deli yet. The Italian roots run deep here. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. New York is a good food city. Denver's a good food city, but New York is like the food city. It seems. But I will say my favorite restaurant is in Portland. Really? What what kind of food? Um. <sighs> It's one of those new American restaurants. And I think people who aren't really into restaurants and I don't want to say foodies because I wouldn't say I'm a foodie, but like I'm a person that tries, you know, more than an Outback Steakhouse. Um, People who are not like that hear the word new American and they think of a bar and grill still. I think a burger is a fancy hamburger. Yeah. And that's not what it is. I think I think new American is more just like a lot of fusions. I don't even know what to call it. You know, they have an American local. They had like this, this like glazed pork belly that was amazing. They had like this trout that was encrusted with some amazing like honey crust. I don't even know how to describe a lot of the food there, but it's super duper good. And it's my favorite restaurant (laughs) (laughs) with the possible exception of one ramen place in Japan. That was just like heaven on earth. So does that mean you're now cooking new American at home? Yes. Well, I don't know about. I don't know if it's new American, but I'm I'm taking the time to cook better food. And the reason I want to do this episode, I mean, I know we have a lot of stuff here in the outline that we can talk about, but the reason I mm. wanted to do this episode is because recently, I I don't know why, but I really got into cooking, mm. and I am finding that it's actually very enjoyable when you reframe the way you look at cooking. Because in the past, I was always like, every minute I spend on cooking is a minute that is taken away from me, which I could have been using to work, or I could have been using to play video games or do something else, one of my hobbies. And Mm -hmm. I used to be one of those people who subscribed to the whole idea of, well, it's more economical for me to eat out every night or even order in because I could be spending those hours that I'd spend cooking on work. But... I've sort of realized that I think when we don't cook, number one, we have a, you know, a much further, uh, less, or, you know, much more tenuous connection to the food we eat. We're a lot more or a lot less deliberate about what we're eating. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know what it's Mm. supposed to taste like. And the fact of the matter is a lot of the food that we eat out, especially cheap food is cheap because it has a ton of, fat and salt and sugar in it it's not good for you and uh if you can learn to enjoy the process of cooking and you can learn to push yourself just a little bit to learn some recipes then you'll start realizing what food is really supposed to taste like and it's going to be a lot more rewarding to eat it when you know you made it and what i found is that when i put myself in the mindset of i'm going to cook and i'm going to enjoy it number one it's one of those things that you have a lot of pride in doing because you right. made the thing that you're eating. And if it turns out well, like you did that. But two, if you can frame it that way, then like the the whole process of chopping up some garlic 
or mixing up some eggs or something. It isn't a chore. It's like it's work, but it's enjoyable. It's meditative. And I've been enjoying it a lot. One of the biggest problems that we've had, and and I do like 0.5% of the cooking. Like Laura cooks. Yeah. She really enjoys it. I, I just, I, I'm more like, and I, I also don't bake, but I, I understand that more. I like follow instructions, uh, like, you're like far. a scientist. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like it has to be exact. And I get like really anal about the details. Um, but I know that one thing and, and we like eating in, uh, and Laura has become a really great cook, but I think one of the things that prevents us from doing that, it's not like, Oh my God, we want to go out, you know, every day because it, you get tired of the places, whatever, but yeah. it's, you know, uh, you know, it's seven thirty, um, and we're hungry and we, we've not, we have like no food in the fridge or we have like no concept of what, you know, so yeah. then to start cooking and then we have to clean up. Um, have you like, do you plan, I guess like it was really, and we do this together. Yeah. Like what we, so how I'll, do you do I'll this? take you through what I do and um, recently I've become the cook in mm. our house. Now, Anna can cook and she made dinner last night, but because Anna works full time and also has nearly an hour commute each way, I found that I can just work really efficiently in the, in the day and I can take those couple of hours. I don't spend commuting and I can use that to go buy the food that we need to cook. Um, when I was living in Iowa and I was a 20 minute drive from the grocery store, each week I would go into my Google calendar and at the top, you know, the all day offense, mm-hmm. I would put the meal that we're going to have that day for mm-hmm. all the days. So usually I'd say, all right, we're probably going to go out Saturday. So I'll leave Saturday blank, but the rest of the days I'm going to plan a meal. And then that way it's very easy to go to the store and to buy all the things I need in you know one big trip for all five meals. Um, and I found that it takes a bit of practice, but it's very good to try to plan meals that are going to use some of the things that won't get used up on one meal. So like if you're going to buy some cilantro or something, maybe plan a couple of meals that, that call for cilantro. Otherwise you're buying a bundle of fresh cilantro and it will go bad. So maybe this is an amateur question, right? It probably is an amateur question, but how do you do that? Like, I guess if I was to say it's like, I don't know, I'm going to make like chicken roast or something. I would look up a bunch of uh, recipes and, you know, pick one. Mm-hmm. And then I would like, okay, these are the ingredients that I need. And then I, I would really have no concept of how to match my ingredients across meals. Like I could, I'd be like, okay, well, we'll have tacos and we'll like sprinkle cilantro over. But that's like the, probably the smallest of the ingredients. You could do that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that is a challenging thing and that takes practice to figure out how to do. I will admit it mm-hmm. does. But I mean, a good example from last week, I bought some um, some ribeye steak and I bought some big portobello mushrooms and asparagus and onions. So what I did is I just, I cooked the steaks on the stove with my stainless steel pan and then I threw all the veggies and the mushrooms in there after the steaks. I used the, I think they call it the, the fond from the, like mm. the little crusty bits from the steak that gets stuck to the bottom. I used that and then I used a beef broth and red wine vinegar mix to deglaze that and to create a sauce out of all those vegetables. And that was super delicious. And then I had asparagus left over and I had the mushrooms left over. So for the asparagus, I just sauteed that up for the next night's dinner. And then with the mushrooms, I was like, well, what can I do with these? I'll make egg bake. And egg bake is super easy. You just get a glass pan and I'll put like some spinach leaves down there. I will lightly saute up a diced onion and the rest of those mushrooms, put that down, cover it with cheese, and then whisk up a dozen eggs and pour it in with a little bit of milk and then bake that in the oven and I've got breakfast for the whole week. So you'll you'll like come up. So did you like say it's like you're planning Monday and you're going to do the whole week. You're coming up with maybe like your favorite or the one that you want to do the most for Monday or something. And then you're trying to cascade those ingredients through at least like another meal. Like, yeah. so, so like you almost derive future meals. From- yeah. Yeah. And as you start to do this, it's, it's like anything else where it seems super daunting at first when you haven't done it because there's so many variables, 
But as you start doing it, you start to realize, you, you start to build heuristics and you start to build a little mental database of the ingredients you typically buy and how far they go. So I know when I buy a bundle of asparagus, it's two meals worth of asparagus. So I need to have at least two things in mind that week for the asparagus if I'm going to buy it. And you just start to realize that. Um, I almost always use half an onion on a recipe, but luckily an onion will last in the fridge for at least a week. So, mm -hmm. and, and also luckily an onion is a very versatile thing. It's one of the most versatile ingredients you can have if you like onions. So right. you just get to know these things. And as long as you're not making super complicated recipes every single night, I think you're not going to have a whole lot of food waste. And this is something that I've been trying to uh, really pay attention to when I pick recipes. It can be super tempting to go and pick like the most amazing looking recipe off Epicurious or, or all recipes or whatever that has all these ingredients and you're like spending an hour in the grocery store trying to That's find like me. That's dried, like the amateur. Exactly. You're just like, what, what is it? Dried star anise? What the heck is that? You know? <laughs> and I like yeah. anise. It's great. But you can make a really killer salmon dinner by anus sounds like something else <laughs> dried anus <laughs> i can't focus this is an uncensored Sorry. podcast we just have to call it out but no you I can make, make you can make a killer chips. dinner by going you buy just a couple of salmon fillets right mm. chop up some garlic put it on there baste it with some butter throw on a slice of lemon wrap it with uh parchment paper and throw it in the oven so that's like three or four ingredients and right. your butter keeps forever Maybe you need to use that lemon. Okay, make yourself like a drink with lemon in it. Boom. Mm. You know, and that garlic, garlic keeps forever as well. We use garlic for almost every single recipe. And then you could do some sauteed asparagus with more of that garlic, some salt and pepper, and boom, you got a meal right there. So And so you, you're doing all the planning like before you even leave the house? Or do you have like the general gist, you know, and then you kind of like piece together, well, you know, whatever's that? I personally plan my... I have recipes and then I put all the ingredients I need that I don't already have at home into Todoist in my grocery list thing. And I also have an Amazon Echo. So right. what's really nice is you can connect Echo to Todoist or to whatever. Um, I think it's, not, it's a limited amount, but there are several to-do apps you can connect it to. And then you can say, hey, I don't want to say the name of it because people will be listening to this with their Echoes <laughs> sitting there. Uh, and it's your fault if you set it to Echo instead of the default, but you can say, hey, name of whatever it is, put this on my shopping list and mm. she'll put it on the shopping list. So I will just, and if I run out of something while cooking, I just yell it to the Echo and it does it for me. Um, and then I go to the store and I've got my grocery list right there and I buy what I need. Now, because I live about two steps away from Whole Foods now, I don't typically go buy everything in bulk for the whole week. I'm a little bit more, what do I want to make tonight? Okay, what do I have in the fridge? All right, I've got a recipe in mind. I'll walk to Whole Foods. I enjoy going to the grocery store basically every day. But if you oh don't, it's really easy to plan. Dude, so back, uh, maybe it was like five or so years ago. Uh, shit, maybe it was like eight years ago. I'm like old already. Uh, <laughs> when when I had like my first apartment in Hoboken um, and, you know, Laura would come over and, you know, blah, blah, blah. There was this King's uh, supermarket that was like literally the bottom floor. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't know, I had not like, bought milk enough times to know what like the price of milk is or, you know, and so you just kind of like go and get these things. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that the prices were just like ridiculously high. Oh, so, were they? Yeah. And then there's like this place on Washington street when we're walking home, it's like super convenient. And, and maybe cause it's Hoboken and whatever, the prices are ridiculously high. Uh, uh, Trader Joe's opened up and I don't, I don't know if you've ever been it's to cheap. one. It's dude. It's like $2 uh, wine. and the stuff is so good. Like yeah. the quality, like literally for us shifting to Trader Joe's was like a game changer in terms mm -hmm. of like the quality of the stuff that we get and the amount that we pay for it. Yeah. My mom is super good at finding deals and good prices and stuff. And I mean, it's hard to like say, go to this store because grocery stores are very regional. It's not like, yeah. You know, we'll get some groceries from Target sometimes. In fact, we've gotten to the point where uh, we there's the main supermarket chain here in Denver is called King Supers. Uh, and the one that's by us is really nice, but I don't think they employ enough people as cashiers, so it's always a huge pain in the butt that to sucks. go there. But I found out that 
ever since Amazon bought Whole Foods, the prices on your normal everyday groceries at Whole Foods are pretty much just as good as you're going to get at your normal grocery store. Yeah, they have their $8 bone broth drinks and you're going to pay a crap ton if you get like a deli sandwich there. But, and of course they have their really healthy brands of stuff that costs a ton, but you can get like the the Whole Foods, I forget the, the brand name, but it's like their- Whole Paycheck or whatever. No, it's like they're, they're, hmm. they have a brand name. I forget what it is, but I think it's like Everyday 365 or something like that. You can get so you're saying, like, your you pasta sauce for two bucks, you know? And every, not do the whole paycheck thing. Like you, if you're mindful yeah, about how I you, shop almost almost every grocery I get is from Whole Foods. And if you're smart, you can get uh your groceries at normal prices. If you're buying like and, real foods, like produce, you're buying, you know, you're not crazy brands of peanut sauce or something like that, you can get uh, a pretty good price on most of your groceries. And then what I do is for anything I can't get at Whole Foods, I just go to Target because I don't want to wait in the lines at that grocery store. I think, uh, I, and I had not been, and I've only read this, and I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, since Amazon bought Whole Foods, they've actually like really brought their prices down, like yeah. on par, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it brought in a different customer group just after the purchase, because there was this interview with the CEO, and he said he inadvertently trapped the company where a lot of the people were going to Whole Foods it was like this pretentious hipster, whatever, yeah. with certain expectations. And they in it and then what like, you know, that type of food, but also affordable was a cool thing. And it was already priced into their margins that they couldn't back away yeah. from that decision. Yeah, now Amazon has the ability to bring it down. And I, I mm-hmm. think Amazon's play here is that Whole Foods gives them a physical presence that they never had. Right. So, you know, it isn't Walmart, but the the Whole Foods by me now has Amazon lockers there. And I, I would not be surprised to see further integration in the future. So I really don't think, I think in the future, we're going to start to see Whole Foods back away from this image as like the super hipster store you go to. And it will just be like, it's your grocery store, but it just has some of those options as well. It's health conscious grocery store, you know? Right, right. But that, that's where I go. Um, and... Yeah, some things are more expensive than what I could get at maybe like Aldi or something. But on the whole, because I'm cooking more and because I'm trying to use simple ingredients, simple meals, I'm going to spend less money because I'm not going out and spending, you know, 50 bucks on dinner for two people. Would you ever consider... Um, so it's like we use subscribe and save for like toothpaste and all like that crap. And it's great because we've now have like such an enormous amount of things, like just so dumb things mm-hmm. in there that we're always like saving the maximum amount and it just gets delivered. But I never quite got like Amazon pantry or, or, or uh, I don't even know what it's called, to be honest. Would you ever consider doing something like that? Like you said you get garlic, like you have it in almost your meals. You can kind of just get these basics from something like Amazon and just save there. Mm, I mean, you could, I, I don't prefer to. You want to like pick it out and yeah, and- I like, I like the process of going and getting my things. And mm. this is just a philosophical thing for me, but you know, somebody else who wants to save time or maybe save money. Sure. Try out the delivery services. Yeah. I want to go and I, I I'm, a learner. So I want to go out and I want to learn how to pick good produce. I want to be able to identify good from bad. I don't want people delivering meat to me because I've read up on how to pick a good steak, what color you should be looking for, what kind of marbling you should be looking hmm. for, what kind of cut. What is color good for- should you look for? Uh, it's it's, it's going to be different. But what I can tell you is that if a steak looks brown, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's hmm. just like the oxidization process on uh, the meat that's sitting there. So a lot of times if they vacuum wrap a steak into a package, then it actually doesn't get that chance to oxidize. Um, and it can sometimes taste better. So I went and I bought a book and let me Google the name real quick. I think it's just the science of cooking or something. Uh, possibly. It sounds like something Alton Brown would make. It is not Alton Brown, but yes, it, it is called the science of cooking. Um, and I've, I'm trying to figure out the the person who wrote it because my ad blocking thing is is oh here it is Stuart Fairmond. Yeah, I just bought from from uh Barnes and Noble. Mm. And it's not a book that has recipes. It's just a book that explains things. Like 
it explains, here's how you test to see if your stainless steel pan is hot enough. You take a little bit of water and you dump it in like a tiny, like a tiny amount. And if it balls up into one little ball and kind of skates over the surface, then your pan is ready. Hmm. Um, hmm. Or it'll teach you like, here's what the different colors of meat mean. And if you have a steak that's browned a bit, but it doesn't smell bad, it isn't bad. That's actually a really big thing. This is a tip that can save people a lot of money. Um, expiration dates are not usually actual expiration dates. I believe the only federally mandated product that requires an expiration date is baby food. Hmm. Um, and possibly some kinds of meat. I did a, I did a script on this for um, How to Adult a few years ago, but I don't remember totally. But most things, the date is a suggested use date. And the manufacturer puts that on there because they think this food should be good until then. After that, it's on you. And we know we don't want to be liable if it's bad, but smell your food, visually inspect it. If you have some bread, that's a couple of days past the date that's printed on the package, but it feels fine and it doesn't have mold on it, then it's fine. And even if it does have mold on it, cut the mold off. Mold right, spores right. have not infected your entire loaf of bread. They've just coated the surface. In fact, I learned about uh, the process of dry aging meat recently. Mm -hmm. So if you go to a really nice restaurant in New York City and you get a steak dinner, it's likely that they've dry aged that meat. What does that it, mean? Basically, it means they've just left it for like, I don't know, two months maybe wow. to dry age. And as long as you have good temperature control, it's going to be fine. But when you dry age meat, the surface is going to have some mold on it. Hmm. So they clear that mold off. And then they cook your steak and it tastes delicious. And you wow. know that you're none the wiser. So a lot of the conceptions we have about when food is good versus when it is time to throw it away are based on false assumptions, are based on not, again, not being connected to our food enough so that we just blindly trust these dates that are that are printed on these packages by other people. I feel like it's a, a very similar thing with uh, those I guess they call them like ugly foods or ugly vegetables. You yeah, know, it's like a strawberry exactly. that has like another strawberry melded into it. Um, yep, that's still food. Yeah, and I think there are services that actually will sell them to you mm -hmm. for like some insanely discounted price because, you know, ShopRite doesn't want that on their, you know, in their strawberry bin. Yeah, um, you're probably not going to see a carrot that looks like a dick and balls out <laughs> sitting there on Whole Foods, but that's still edible. Yeah, and you're probably just gonna cut it up into a stew anyway. It's it's still hilariously <laughs> edible. <laughs> so, when I make a recipe I like, I have a recipes notebook in Evernote, and mm. I just go in there and I I write the recipe into a note. So right now I got like asparagus eggs and furikake, which is a, just a Japanese rice seasoning. Um, I've got pan seared steak and vegetables. Uh, I've got a breakfast quiche. I've got baby spinach omelets, chicken fried rice. Uh, so when I don't know what to make, I can just go into my Evernote recipes notebook and then I've got tags in there, dinner, breakfast, etc. And I can just have a look. And I was like, oh, I actually forgot that I make lasagna sometimes. And here's my recipe. Boom, I'm making that tonight. Mm. You know, it takes a lot of the a lot of the things or a lot of the reason that I wouldn't cook in the past is because I just didn't know what I wanted to make and it was overwhelming. And you just get into this mental spiral of like, I don't know what to make and I don't know what ingredients I have or if I even have the right pan for this. I'm just going out or I'm just ordering in. I don't care anymore. So the more organized you can make your system and make your mind and the less friction that you can uh, have between you and cooking something, the more often you're going to do it, which is okay. why going to the store and getting my ingredients at the beginning of the week and planning my meals out was very useful at first. So... I have a question for you because this is a trap that I think we fall into. Laura and I fall into a lot is uh, it's time for dinner and there's, there's no meat defrosted and like, you know, you, you could like microwave chicken and then it's just like kind of gross. You know, you, what do you do in that? Or do you just never, that never happens? Well, because I go to the store and buy my ingredients every day because oh, I'm, every I'm right day. by there. I always just have fresh meat in the fridge, um, well, but you can run, meat under warm water to defrost it mm. i believe you know and this is all coming from somebody who's like recently got into cooking so if i sound like an expert i'm not 
I just I'm have definitely not read so. a few things and I made a few things and I made a damn good steak dinner the other night. But yeah, I mean, I've defrosted meat by running warm water over it before. Um, but again, that's that's a planning thing. So if that's a problem, well, the way to solve it is we've planned to have uh, some pork chops tonight. Well, before we go out in the morning, I'm going to throw that pork chops from the freezer into the fridge. You know, just like any other thing, if you realize you have a problem, then you take action to solve it. So in college, uh, my buddy and I were like super unhealthy and you know, we're, we're living off campus and we decided like we're actually going to get healthy. Um, and for me, and it just, I think throughout my life, the worst meal, like in terms of healthiness, whatever, just always tends to be lunch. Maybe it's because of like the time, Oh yeah. you know, I'm in the middle of working or whatever I'm running around or just everyone's going out to a lunch place and I want to go to, um, and so one of the things we did is we were on this thing and Laura like always makes fun of me. We were, it was called like uh, the abs diet, you know, but it's basically just a structured way of how to build your meals mm-hmm. so that uh, you're eating appropriately. Um, I never got abs, but I definitely lost weight. And uh, what, what we did is we would get uh, like chicken tenders and we get like a big thing of it and we would cook it ahead of time for like the week. So when we were going to go like have lunch, it'd be like a cold sandwich, just kind of like throw it in yeah. in the morning real quick or even make those ahead of time. So you're talking about bulk cooking. Yeah, like it, it would remove the barrier, I guess. Yeah. To and I definitely don't want to uh, encourage people eating chicken tenders because that's <laughs> really bad for you. No, no, no. But they weren't like fried. Like, you know how they have like, they have like the full breast and they just call them tenders. And it's like, Oh, those it's yeah. like a half of a breast or yeah. something. Yeah. Chicken, chicken's a weird thing for me. Um, because it's like the worst treated meat in industrial farming. So I want to yeah. try getting some organic chicken. It's pretty expensive stuff, which is why I don't eat chicken very often, but I want to try cooking with that. At, it's fairly soon, but the, the idea there is good. And, so with bulk cooking, uh, the easiest way to do this, I think, is to get a slow cooker and oh then just to They're like awesome. throw chili ingredients in there. But you can also just like we do pot cooking a lot. So we make like Zopa Toscana or uh, like borscht, which is the Ukrainian recipe. Mm. And that's just in a big half gallon pot. And we can never eat all of it for dinner. So usually that is lunch. And I mean, I think my little routine now is that usually Sundays I will put together an egg bake and like, again, that's just the egg casserole pretty much throw that in the oven. And that is typically enough for the entire week's breakfast. And in the mornings, I'll just make some toast and have some fruit with that. And then for lunch, if I eat lunch, which I often skip, I'll just have leftovers from the last night's dinner. So usually all I'm ever actively cooking for is dinner. And if this is intimidating, just pick one meal of the day. And dinner is probably the easiest one because you're home, you have time, you're not rushing, you're not trying to get to work. So just commit to saying, I'm going to cook five dinners a week. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And then if you start to like it, and you start to get good at it, you start to build some systems and habits, then you can figure out how to bulk cook for breakfast or bulk cook for lunch or something like and that. And let the eating out be the reward for yeah. actually like doing good during the week. That's the other thing. I was thinking about this in the shower this morning. Um, I love Netflix, Mm -hmm. but I remember when I was a kid and some show that I really liked, like, I don't know, Zoids or something would come on TV. Like it was super awesome Mm -hmm. because it wasn't on demand. It was like, Oh, it's finally on. I get to watch it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm thinking about it. Like when you go to say uh, a concert for a band you like, or some, comedian comes into town like that's an event that's like a cool thing right yeah it's because you can't have it every night and i think the same thing applies to cooking and to eating out if you only eat out on the weekends or you only eat maybe once a week that's an event you had to wait for it there was some anticipation there and you can take all that money you saved by cooking and you can go to your favorite restaurant and you can order the limoncello for dessert and mm. you can order a more expensive dish and have wine with it and not care that you're spending maybe 60 bucks on dinner because you didn't eat out four more times that week. Right. You know, you had leftovers sometimes and you cooked with simple ingredients. Uh, one thing I wanted to include here is some recommendations on kitchen gear. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people think they need 
this gigantic knife set and 15 different pots, pans. pans. Yeah. You don't. You need. So my recommendation is one good heavy stainless steel pan or a cast iron pan mm. if you don't have like a glass top stove. And, and you know, you can even cook with a cast iron on a glass top. I just, you got to be careful. Right. Um, and I would say like a cast iron is definitely cheaper than a really good quality stainless steel pan. But I think there's a brand that Walmart carries that you can get. I forget the name. Pretty sure it starts with a T. Um, I have an all clad pan and I got it at Williams Sonoma and I got it way on sale. So that was nice. Otherwise it would have been very expensive. But if you have one good stainless steel pan or cast iron pan, one small nonstick pan for eggs, and then for the knife department, a single good chef's knife, and then maybe a bread knife that's serrated. Mm. I have never needed anything else. I mean, maybe a little paring knife will be useful, but I can't think of the last time that I used a paring knife. I chop every single vegetable with my chef's knife. And same with meat, everything. And then because when you use like a million knives and stuff, like there have been times like we didn't clean the dishes and stuff. And so then it's yeah. like, well, and no one wants to do it. And I guess if you use one throughout the process, you know, you have 10, you're never yeah. going to run into that situation where you're just like. And the biggest thing is you don't need all those tools. Like the, the kitchen gear industry would love to sell you uh, what Alton Brown loves to call unitaskers, mm. gadgets that are designed for one little thing. And Alton Brown's whole thing is like, you should get versatile gear that can be used for many different things, like a box grater. I can grate cheese in that. I can shred vegetables in that, all kinds of stuff, mm. you know? Uh, and I don't even know what his examples of unitaskers would be. But the, the base idea here is if you can get your hands on some high quality, simple gear, like your one pan. Um, and my pan is like a four quart pan, so I can almost do like a soup in it. I can do a lot of one one pan meals where I'll do the meat in there and then I do vegetables in there as well. Uh, you're good to go, hmm. you know? And if you just take the time to learn some things like red wine or red wine vinegar and some beef broth will deglaze the bottom of a pan that you just cooked a steak in and make a really good sauce for vegetables, then you actually cut down on the effort you have to spend scrubbing it at the end of the night. <laughs> but these skills never become part of your repertoire unless you try them out and you try different recipes. Hmm. So, so yeah. uh, you uh, had the catchphrase, growing your own food is like printing your own money. And you I also did. live in Colorado, so you're like, you know, you got the beard going, you're in a hipster area. What <laughs> what are you growing, Thomas? Um, all we grow is herbs. Mm. And right now it's the winter, so we don't grow anything. Uh, though, I was just up in the mountains and my friend JP has a house and what he's doing in his basement is actually doing uh, hydroponics, which is indoor growing. And I think it uses water somehow. Um, and you can grow I saw it at Disneyland herbs. once. I think it like spritzes it. Is hydroponics where the it's not in dirt? I don't know. It might be hydroponics. See, now I'm, now I'm very curious. I just want to see a picture. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely different than normal growing. Hmm. Uh, but you can do it indoors. So he's got a hydroponic system set up and he's an engineering nerd. So he's yeah. talking about setting up all these. It's a method of it? growing plants without soil. That's right. Yeah. It's mineral so nutrient uh, solutions in the water. Cause I, I yes. remember when I was a kid and it was like the future ride in Epcot and they have plants essentially hanging and they're just spritzing the stuff on them. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So he's doing that and he's like, their whole goal right now is to build um, a nice hydroponic setup in their basement that can grow all the herbs they need mm. for cooking. And during the warm months, we just have one of those little box garden things that hangs off of our balcony railing. Mm -hmm. And we grow basil, we grow oregano, and a few other things in there. So we can easily just snip those off. And then I think Anna had a tomato plant as well. So you can do that. I mean, it's a little more difficult in an apartment. Though one thing yeah. you can look into is uh, shared gardens, where you can either get like a plot on a shared garden that you can use, or there's a lot of community gardens where maybe it isn't a plot, but you just kind of buy in, you help to tend it, and then you get a share of the produce. That's awesome. There, there's one in Hoboken, but there's like limited plots. We had to have gotten in, or we have to, we would have to, I guess, wait in line for someone to get kicked yeah. out or something. 
when you're in a big city with a lot of hipsters, then you're going to have, you know, there's competition to get into stuff like that. Mm. But I remember when I was in Ankeny, there was a shared garden that I could have gotten into very easily. You know, I think Martin was really wanting to do that as well. So it might be something to be, to try out. Hmm. I have not done it myself, but there, you, there's a way to grow your own money pretty much. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's see here. Does it, I wanted to, f- to throw out a few different ideas here. So I talked about pot cooking. I talked about slow cooking. Look up recipes. Doesn't have to be anything complex. Um, another one that I find to be very easy and cheap is a uh, stir fries. Hmm. So I have a good, um, I think it's like carbon steel wok. I just got it from Target. And you could also do stir fries in your stainless steel pan. I had the wok before I had the pan. So why do you say uh, it's cheap to make a stir fry? Because I can throw some rice to cook in a pot at the back of the stove. Mm. That's cheap. And then all I gotta do is I, I buy the vegetables I want. So I'll buy some bell pepper. I'll buy some onions or shallots. Um, what else do I do in there? I'll do some carrots, chop them all up, and then I'll cook them up in the wok. I use peanut oil because it's a high heat oil. Mm. So because you want it to be really high heat for stir fry, and then once the rice is, I guess it just cooks the vegetables better. I guess I mean you there's there's many different ways to cook, but if you're doing stir fry traditionally, it's very high heat Mm. quicker. Whereas if you threw something in the oven, you could slow and low simmer it for hours. There's a lot of ways to do it. Um. Then once the rice is done, I'll dump that in there, mix it all up, put in some soy sauce, and then I'll make a little bit of a space near the bottom, crack in a couple of eggs Ooh. and like scramble them up. And then I'll mix that all up into the rice and veggies. I like peanut sauce a lot. Mm. So I'll throw in some spicy Thai peanut sauce and good to go. Here's your protein. There's your rice for carbs and your veggies. You could throw in meat if you want to. Yeah, there you go. There's like a million different ways to make stir fry. And you would just cook the meat on the wok as well. You just do like cut up like small pieces or something or. Yeah, you could do it that way mm. or you could do it in a pan either way. I haven't done a meat one yet uh, in the wok. When I was in college, I made a stir fry and when I was in college, I was dumb and I, I literally cooked everything on a nonstick pan at high heat, which is not good Cause like the, because like you the f- start to destroy your nonstick. Mm. Yeah. And I need to figure out what exactly is the deal with nonstick because I'm listening to Anthony Bourdain's book right now the older one kitchen confidential. And he was like with nonstick, I never wash it. I just wipe it out. And I'm like, wait, really? You don't wash your nonstick. So I don't know. Maybe that's a thing. I have no idea. Huh? I have been, I've been washing my nonstick with a sponge and soap for years. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm doing it wrong. I'm not sure. It seems to have worked. Then again, I always ruin my nonstick. So I'm hoping by having this good stainless steel uh, pan and using that for my high heat stuff and only using the nonstick for eggs and low temperature stuff, it will last longer. Cause I've definitely destroyed a lot of pans in college. And now I know why. <laughs> I, I definitely <laughs> destroy them with like Brillo and stuff. And I guess you don't realize, but then stuff gets in like the little like hairline scratches and it installed yep. downhill. Yeah, you definitely don't want to use like a metal anything on a nonstick pan mm. at all. But yeah, even I mean, forks I, and Yeah, I try not to use metal for most things. Like you would want to use metal if maybe you were doing like a some you're maybe like wanting to flip something. And if you used a thicker plastic spatula, it would just leave a bunch of residue. Like Martin was telling me you want a metal spatula for uh, sautéing tofu, Mm -hmm. because if you don't have that really thin metal to get under there, you're just going to rip the tofu off of the part that's stuck to the pan and all that crispy goodness is now just left there to burn. Mm. And now you just have more soft tofu you have to cook. (laughs) So yeah. Um, that that was the main thing that I had written down. I don't know if there's anything else where this, uh, article that we have in the research doc here, is this something that was already on the site or? Yeah, this is, uh, this is a bunch of stuff that, uh, we already have up there. Oh, and, cool. Okay. Uh, and so I think we're just going to like attach it together. Cool. It, it we'll needed a, big a, old... a partner. Oh, it didn't have a, an episode behind it? No. Oh, sweet. Well, here's the episode. Boom. Boom. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of stuff in this article. So definitely check it out. I purposely decided to not try to go through this article mm. because I didn't write it. And I just wanted to talk about the things I was interested in and what I do. 
<laughs> but you could listen and then afterwards you could tap on our faces and it like most apps will like slide down and then mm-hmm. get both. Yep. Or swipe or whatever brings up those show notes. We'll have the whole article article in there. Um, so I'm just going to recommend a couple of the sources that I've been learning from right now. Number one, I highly recommend watching the documentary series cooked on Netflix. Mm. Um, it's written by, what is his name? Michael Pollan, who is the same guy who wrote, uh, what's it called? The Omnivore's Dilemma. That's what it is. And he wrote a book called Cooked. And wait, wait, called, Matt, the, called the what? The Omnivore's Dilemma. Omnivores. It's oh. like a really famous book about food sourcing. Uh, no, I found now I found the book uh, called Cooked by him at a bookstore this week. And I was with Matt and he was like, they made a documentary about that. So don't get the book. Just watch the documentary because it's awesome. So I'm about halfway through it. And it's, it's very inspiring to watch, I think. Mm. It like makes you want to cook. Right, right. Uh, and then that cooking science book, The Science of Cooking, was a very good book. I'm, and again, it's not recipes. It just teaches you a lot of the science behind cooking. And what I found is when I have that knowledge, I'm more confident going into a recipe. Because when I was younger, I would look at a recipe and I would be like, I don't know what the difference between mincing and dicing is. Or I don't know how to tell when the steak is done. So... And the big thing with cooking that I've always worried about is if I make a mistake, I've kind of ruined it potentially. Like if I make a mistake with coding, mm. well, I just go fix the bug. Right. But the thing that's always um, stressed me out with cooking is if I screw up the steak or something, I've just wasted all those ingredients. I've wasted all that time and I have to start over and I'm, I'm still hungry. <laughs> so what I found is, yes, you're going to screw some things up. Uh, but if you start simple and you get a little bit of fundamental knowledge under your belt, like knife skills, the gear you need, um, how to tell when a steak is done, which you can do by pinching your fingers and thumbs together. And like if you pinch your pinky to your thumb and then feel that piece of muscle right beneath your thumb, right. that's what a well-done steak is going to feel like. Whereas if it's just uh, if your hand is open, you're not pinching together and you feel it there, that's what a raw steak feels like. Hmm. And then each finger in between is a different level of doneness. So if you want a rare steak, pinch your thumb to your index finger and then feel that piece of muscle underneath your thumb. That's what it should feel like. Which I've learned that uh, that's the way you tell a steak is done. Ah. You don't cut the steak open you while it's on it. the pan because yeah. you ruin it. And I've ruined many steaks that way. <laughs> and I learned just this last week, cooking it that way makes a freaking delicious steak. Mm. Or like prepping your meat by salting it and then letting it sit in the fridge for about half an hour before you cook it makes it so much better. Mm. Just like little things like that. And that science book teach, uh, taught me those things. And then from there, you know, go wild. Get recipes from wherever you want. But I would recommend building a personal database of recipes because when you're feeling a little bit less than motivated, you're not going to go out and find a new recipe on a website or if you crack open a recipe book, you're going to get overwhelmed. But if you can go to your little personal stash and be like, ooh, this is an easy recipe to make. We can do this in 20 minutes. Right. Then you're going to cook. Because I'll tell you, a lot of nights I don't feel like doing it. Some nights I'm very motivated. Some nights I'm like, eh, I don't want to. <laughs> but I do anyway. So yeah, that's all I got, I think, for now. Uh, I will I will say Anthony Bourdain's book is very entertaining. I'm not sure if I'm learning a whole lot from it that I can actually use. Mm. So he did talk about having just one chef's knife and not needing a zillion knives. But for the most part, it's just a very, very entertaining thing to listen to or read. I'll have to check it out. I, I need to to make more of an effort in that department. I mean For cooking or for reading? Well, both. <laughs> I, I read a lot of news. I, I haven't read a lot of like books like deep. I, I miss well, I do remember you asking me recently to recommend you books that were not about business. Mm. Or like computer stuff. Yeah, so I'm in the middle of uh, this, this, uh, and it's not even a big book, by Quartz. And uh, Laura rightfully was like, finish the one you're in the middle of before you go to a new one. So, so I'm finishing that one. <laughs> <laughs> so Quartz wrote a book? Yeah, it's just like, uh, it's. I think it's like the seven things that drive the global economy. And it's just oh, okay. interesting stuff like shipping containers and, you know, just the technology behind it and. If you like that, yeah. and I'll recommend this very heartily to our entire audience, there's a podcast called 50 Things That Made the Modern Economy. Mm. And every episode is about 10 minutes. And the dude, it's a podcast made by the BBC, I believe. Uh, he just goes through the history 
of things like shipping containers or the credit card or the plow, just everything that kind of made our economy. It's a really good podcast. That sounds awesome. Uh, but is it like I a may max actually of 50 like it. episodes and then like, yep, that's cool. Well, they decided to do 51, mm. like uh, halfway through. They're like, we're going to let you vote on a 51st thing. And I think it was the credit card. So there's 51. It's a series you can get through pretty quickly. Uh, and then you'll be sad that it's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I like it even better than 99% Invisible, which is the closest thing I could compare it to. Mm. Because it's it's more like something I'd watch on the History Channel, and sometimes ninety nine PI episodes are a little bit esoteric, right, right. Whereas like every episode of Fifty Things, I'm fascinated by. But yeah, my voice is about shot. <laughs> We've recorded for like four hours today, I or know. something like that. I don't even know. It's a long so stretch. So I think we're gonna close this out. Hopefully, you guys found this helpful. Um, I forgot to say this in the last couple of episodes, but if you guys have questions, you can always email us. Our email is listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. So if you have personal finance questions, go ahead and send them over. If you have cooking questions, well, to be honest, Laura probably knows more than both of us. Probably. So maybe, maybe we'll ask her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can always email us those questions. Those help us to come up with new episode topics. And also Andrew likes to answer the ones that he can as well. Um, you can find the show notes for this episode, which is an entire article with some tips that we did not talk about in this episode because I believe one of our writers uh, wrote this article with some of her own expertise. So try uh, check those out, listenmoneymatters.com slash show. Or like Andrew said, if you are listening to this in a podcast app, you can bring up the show notes by tapping her face or maybe swiping. I'm not sure which app you guys use. Uh, and lastly, our toolbox full of apps and books and things we recommend to improve your financial life and savvy can be found at listenmoneymatters.com slash Check those things out. We will see you in the next week's episode. Later. Later. Please tell your friends about this show. <laughs>